Welcome to Joyful Eating for PCOS and Gut Health, ultimate podcast to learn how to find relief from hormonal and digestive pains while preserving the pleasure of eating. You'll learn from your host, Trista Chan, a registered dietitian and founder of The Good Life Dietitian, along with guest experts on how to understand your health through science and mind-body connection, which diet trends to ignore and explore, all with an accessible and inclusive lens. So let's get started. Today is going to be extra exciting because I'm joined by Prob Simran Sani, one of our registered dietitians at The Good Life Dietitian. Prob is a strong advocate for diversifying nutrition care and combines her lived experience as a South Asian Canadian into her work, supporting clients in managing diseases like PCOS and diabetes while including their cultural foods. Prop has completed her undergraduate degree in nutrition and master of health science degree in nutrition communication at Toronto Metropolitan University and works at the Diabetes Education Center at McKenzie Health. Today, Prop and I are going to chat all about her journey, healthy eating fact versus fiction, and nutritious South Asian foods to help you better manage your PCOS and overall well-being. Prob, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you join me and feel free to say hey to the audience. Yeah, for sure. Hi, Trista. Thank you so much for having me. I'm actually really excited to be one of the very first guests of The Good Life Dietitian. And congrats to you for starting your new podcast series and bring all your hard work to life for the audience. I'm super excited. Yeah, thank you as well. So tell me a little bit more about your philosophy of practice, how you apply that to your clients, and how you came to form that over time. For sure. I think it really stems from undergrad. I was really lucky to have a variety of experiences. So not only clinical, but also working in business, working in entrepreneurship, and really my passion for diversifying or making a dietetics more culturally inclusive stem from being an undergrad and only learning a very Eurocentric way of practicing, which I thought was very limiting. And it always made me question, I was like, wait, is my diet even healthy or unhealthy? Like what's going on? So that sort of was a trigger mm-hmm. in the lack of representation, which is a mainstream media and social media. So that really stood out to me and it kind of became my motto to sort of increase that representation being the very, very few, about 3% of the South Asian dietitians practicing in Canada to diversify what dietetic practice looks Mm -hmm. like. I think that became my philosophy of practice. And it kind of stands on these three pillars, again, from the experiences that I've built, Mm -hmm. which stems from first is like active listening. I think when there's a healthcare professional in the room, Mm -hmm. there's always a power imbalance. Like you kind of come with this mindset. You may know more, the client has to listen to you. That white coat syndrome is so real. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think it's so important to realize that the client is their CEO of their life and their Mm -hmm. lifestyle. And you have to understand that they pick and choose exactly what they take away from you and they choose what they want Mm -hmm. to adopt in their lifestyle. So active listening is such a big role where you put yourself in their shoes. Mm -hmm. Just realize what is their worldview? Mm -hmm. What is their lifestyle? What are their motivators and barriers? And that's Mm -hmm. where empathy really comes in. Until you build that rapport Mm -hmm. with the patient or that connection with the patient, they may be less likely to adopt what you're saying or even make sense of what you're saying. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's very important to kind of build that connection and help Mm co-create goals and lifestyle changes that are practical for them, right? Because at the end of the day, we want a positive impact on them. So it's really important to make them that equal counterpart in that decision Mm -hmm. for their life. 
And another pillar, my last pillar, which I'm very passionate about is inclusivity. Mm. I think now that I'm actively practicing and working as a dietitian and really having that passion for cultural diets, I see a lot of patients come and they're like, their foods are unhealthy. And this yeah. is again, what mainstream media is showing. So I think bringing that lens of inclusivity and going that extra step to research the client's ethnic background, learning more about them and being able mm -hmm. to bring that in to recommendations and let them enjoy what they like to eat but in a way that also nourishes them. So yeah, to summarize it, I think the three pillars of active listening, empathy, inclusivity is really what has become my philosophy of practice. I love that. And I feel like that's something that has been missing to the core of so much of dietetics training. And one common and very fair criticism that I'm always hearing about the core of our profession is that it's very cookie cutter, right? It's very Eurocentric in its foods. And it's very, very prescriptive. So I absolutely love those three pillars that you practice with and that you've developed through your own lived experience over time as well. Yeah, I think, sorry, just to add on, as I'm seeing clients more and more, it's like, for example, diabetes, because I work at one of my jobs working in diabetes mm -hmm. education. Like, you might be saying the same thing, but it's so personalized depending yes. on the client, yes. right? Like they may come with a different background. They came with different barriers and you're right. The cookie cutter approach doesn't work there. Mm -hmm. They're likely not going to be making that change unless you make it practical enough for them. For so that's sure. where it's so important to move away from being prescriptive and really focusing on being individualized and personalized recommendations. For sure. So it's very much about centering the client's unique experiences and their goals, right? And centering right. their expertise of their own health. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. I always say with clients as well that, you know, you're the expert of your life and I'm just co-driving, right? And, and that's our role as effective nutrition right. counselors. So I'm a huge believer, very similar to your current philosophy of practice in terms of connecting personal experiences and applying our learnings into our career. I find that as evidence-based practitioners, it's almost this you know, double-edged sword, I would say, in which a lot of the public or others expect us to remain, quote-unquote, unbiased. But as we know, we're humans, right? We all have biases. We all have our own experiences that inform our opinions. And were there any challenges you faced along the way when it comes to connecting your personal experiences in helping patients? Oh my gosh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it actually stems a bit prior to me practicing, but it was an education. Oftentimes, even when we look at research, which drives evidence-based practices, is very mm -hmm. Eurocentric. Mm -hmm. For example, saying that the med diet is a very healthy, Mediterranean diet, sorry, mm -hmm. is a very healthy diet for patients, but even that comes from a very, very Eurocentric lens. Oftentimes, we see that cultural shift to be practicing more about the concepts of Mediterranean diet. Now, even though other cultural diets may not be as researched, mm -hmm. if we just take the components and mm -hmm. break it down mm -hmm. and then kind of in those concepts apply or in that framework, really start to fit in different cultural foods, you mm -hmm. kind of see that you can take the framework of the Mediterranean diet and apply it to other cultural foods to still get a very quote unquote healthy balanced diet. So I think that that was one of the challenges actually which is advocating for cultural diets, but there's no research backing it up. For so sure. again, taking those frameworks and sort of putting in those different cultural foods to fit in that balanced diet or balanced plate that we also see in the Canada's food guide. To add on, 
reframing the concept of what healthy looks like. You often see salads. (laughs) (laughs) And chicken breast and brown rice. (laughs) Exactly. Or very traditional breakfast, like eat oats or eat Mm -hmm. a hard boiled. And that creates the narrative of that's what healthy looks like. Really Mm -hmm. shifting that concept. But even before patients, like shifting my concept internally. Even being born into the South Asian culture, I never really understood what the diet really encompasses, what Mm -hmm. makes it healthy. So it's again, going beyond and doing my own research despite being in the culture. And I think, again, reframing of the concept is Mm -hmm. a big challenge when you see everybody else doing things a certain way and you're kind of going against the tide. Being a Mm -hmm. minority within Canada and being a minority in the profession in dietetics, Mm -hmm. making that switch to changing the narrative and showcasing other foods that can be part of a healthy balanced diet that we don't see that often. For sure. Expanding what healthy eating looks like. I love that. And to your previous point about the research on healthy eating being very Eurocentric, I think when we, and on the intersection of women's health, which is what we focus on in our practices, is that it becomes even more complicated seeing as a lot of that research was done in male participants, right? So I think that really speaks to the need to diversify on a broader scale as well nutrition science diets expanding you know sex gender culture geography in our research and really advocating that for that and i'm so happy that there are so many dietitians and advocates and healthcare professionals like yourself who are advocating for the change but also working day in and day out supporting patients on the front line as well i agree and i think just to add on because Personally, myself having PCO, that mm-hmm. brings in a lot of bias because, as you mentioned, there's not much research yes. back in women's health. Not at all. <laughs> so it's a lot like, okay, I mean, again, there's a lens of bias because, personally, as well, I was sort of lost in the medical system. Mm-hmm. I had to figure it out on my mm-hmm. own, do my own research, see what worked and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Really bringing the frameworks of healthy eating and nutrition and alongside having the patient's lived experiences to create those recommendations, even in a space where we're not as inclusive in research. So I'd like to know, what is your favorite thing about one-on-one nutrition counseling? I think my favorite thing about one-on-one nutrition counseling, and especially seeing clients at the Good Life Dietitian, is just the amount of impact you can have on their lives. Mm -hmm. One, building rapport, especially when you're seeing them over the course of a period where that they, they signed up for a package and you have initial and you have a follow-up. Mm-hmm. Seeing how you're able to build that connection, build that rapport with them and empowering them to mm-hmm. take on those recommendations and creating that change that they want to see in their lives. And then in the follow-up, you're like, <laughs> oh wow, what's going on? And then you see them, okay, I make these changes and feel better. As a practitioner, I think that's like Oscar-winning moment. When you're <laughs> yeah. like, we created these together, you went and implemented them. And you came back and you're telling me that, wow, this actually worked. So I think that for me, just having that moment of appreciation for the job that I do and knowing that mm-hmm. there's an impact being made is very beautiful. And also mm-hmm. just engaging the patient in their healthcare decision-making, letting them have that freedom and the authority to understand their health risks, make mm-hmm. those lifestyle choices, and also hold themselves accountable for what they choose to do. For sure, there's truly nothing more gratifying than celebrating those wins with your clients. And on that note then, what is the biggest challenge that you most see with clients that you help them overcome? I think the biggest challenge, especially when it comes to PCOS clients, is that 
carbs are carbohydrates <laughs> are the biggest enemy. Mm-hmm. And it's actually sad because again, that's a lot what you see in the mainstream media or yes. social media. Some of the PCOS clients, what they're facing is they may be excessive weight gain, mm-hmm. and the keto diet tends to be the most popular ground when it comes to anything <laughs> mm-hmm. related to weight loss. So it's I think the biggest challenge is to reframe that mindset yes I think we also see that mindset of constantly restricting yourself when Mm -hmm. there is a health concern or where you want to take on a health goal it's like about okay no we can make a balanced plate Mm -hmm. carbohydrates can be a part of your diet in a balanced way it's really about reshifting that mindset and that reframing that concept which Mm -hmm. becomes again challenging because you don't see that on mainstream media so against you're going you're going against the tide but then when the patients do take those techniques of let's say whether that's mindful eating whether that's eating in a balanced way and come back and they feel better mm-hmm. then you're like okay we're right. doing the right thing yes. though everybody else seems to be doing something else and i love that process i completely agree of holding your client's hand through it and supporting them through it and then giving them that new evidence to frame their beliefs upon right because once you see if anyone's listening here and there's any kind of core beliefs you may have around carbs or restriction or fear of foods once we start to unlearn or unpack that it'll be so hard for you to unsee where diet culture and restrictive myths are hidden it's wild it's in like every facet of our society and absolutely when it comes to south asian diets it's very similar to east asian diets in which a lot of the cultural staples is what's vilified for PCOS. So what would you say are some of the biggest myths of South Asian diets? Oh my God, like it's carb heavy, carbohydrate heavy, it's oily, protein rice cannot make a balanced plate. <laughs> I strongly disagree. I think that whether this be for the East Asian or South Asian, people often go to the restaurant and think that's our diet. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> the restaurants serve you more carbohydrates, rice. Because it's cheaper for them. Yeah, and it's a restaurant. (laughs) Yeah, it's a restaurant, right? They want you to come back and eat more and they give you the fat has a lot of flavor, right? Yeah. So it's so important to recognize that traditional diets, they don't look like that. So I think for myself, it's really to help them understand that, no, there's other elements to the South Asian diet. And it's just really at the end of the day about how you balance those portions. For sure, for sure. And it's so, so sad to me when I hear so many... BIPOC folk tell me that all of their cultural foods have been deemed off limits, not just by social media, but potentially other medical and healthcare professionals and even dietitians as well. And it's 2023. We, well, at least Prab and I, we live in the GTA in Toronto where it's incredibly diverse and that just should not be happening. So, so huge, huge myth. I'm glad you've dedicated your career towards combating this and going against the grain and, and busting that myth. So what is one piece of nutrition advice that you would give to someone who is just starting their health and well-being journey? And what should their first step be? Even before I give a nutrition advice, I think just an overall advice is really understanding why they're taking on their journey. Like, what does it mean to them? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, we may take on something because our aunt and uncle made a comment Mm -hmm. or our friend is doing it or we see a lifestyle influencer doing something and Mm -hmm. we think it's right for us to do it as well because we look up to them. Mm -hmm. I think finding value in your investment, your Mm -hmm. life is your investment, your health is your investment. What does it mean to you? How will this change your life? 
it will really drive you, especially when there's times where you don't want to balance, or you don't want to go out for a walk the next day. In those moments when you realize, why am I doing this? What is that why and what does it mean to me? It will mm -hmm. be really helpful and it will play a big role in motivating you. Absolutely. And I think the piece of nutrition advice I would say is that take it slow, make mm -hmm. small changes. But don't always look at your plate and think about what you can take away. Think about what you can add or mm -hmm. you can substitute, mm -hmm. which I think is very important. I think like Trista, you mentioned earlier about diet culture. We often see, and I'm, I don't mean to put Weight Watchers on the, <laughs> on the spotlight, but something I'm often seeing is mm -hmm. people come to me like, Weight Watchers told me to eat this many points. You could be meeting those points, but also eating things that are not nourishing. So instead, why don't we look at our plate and see areas where we can add things to it that we yes. may not be having whether that's a pizza you throw some spinach on top mm. sometimes you just might want to have the pizza on its own like it is and it's completely fine yes but again just seeing food from a different lens seeing it as a nourishing component and not something that you're vilifying and restricting yourself from absolutely and all foods do fit right and i 100 percent agree with tying that to your why because if it's not something that's clearly defined as connecting to, I think, a core value of yours, your nutrition and wellness journey, then it's not going to be the most sustainable. Absolutely. Just to add, and yeah. I think that was for myself when I was going through my PCOS journey as mm -hmm. well. It's like, for me, it was fertility. I want to be able to have kids. Mm. And, I, and, for, and I'm so sorry to say this, but birth control is not the only option. Yes, I so, agree. And it's so sad because... Because every woman you hear from, that's the only thing you hear is like, mm -hmm. birth control is the only option. But mm -hmm. no, you can't step away. And not to say that medications or contraceptives don't have their place, right. but if somebody chooses to have an alternative lifestyle, mm -hmm. that's completely fine too. So it's so nice to see that there is many experts now stepping mm -hmm. up, providing the alternative care for women's health and advocating for women's health. And it's all about just giving the patient inform, like informed decision-making in terms of giving them all the treatment options available and giving them the access to that so thank you so much prob it was such a huge pleasure to chat with you where can the audience find you to learn more about the work that you do well definitely here <laughs> yes um, prob is one of our dietitians if you missed that in the beginning <laughs> so definitely do book the discovery call with me you can catch me on the website the google dietitian website also the social media posts i love doing fun reels but you can also find me on my personal social media page as well, which is, I think it'll be linked as well. Yes, I'll link it on the show notes. Awesome. It's at South Asian RD. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Prob. And we'll have to get you back here on the future to dive a little deeper. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Trista. I look forward to listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Good night.